Well, he talked about that. He did say that they've just got to be better. You know, that when the product on the floor is better, there are more people there. But I think he has a good point. That was a, I mean, say what you want about the NIT, but 3,300 people in the building. I think there's a bigger picture here too. I mean, he kind of referenced Wisconsin's game against Loyola, you know, and how they had like 10,000 people in the building. You know, want to, you want to know why they had 10,000 people in the building? They were giving tickets away for free. Yeah. So if the U of O wants to create an environment, start $5 tickets, you know, for these kinds of games, you know, and get get off your high horse. Yes, you're the University of Oregon. Ooh, you're Nike U. Ooh, you're in the Conference of Champions. Guess what? You have 3,300 people, and that looks terrible to recruits. Hello and welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 144 here in beautiful Chopper Base. The Avateria producers are hanging out here in my office right next to the heater. That is their usual position this time of year, trying to stay as warm as possible. If you'd please be so kind, go find us on all of your major podcast streaming platforms at the Flock Pod. That's Spotify. Get on that Apple iTunes. Make sure to give us those five star ratings. Smash that subscribe button so you're getting that fresh flockness in your feed. If you'd also please be so kind, go follow us on all of your major social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Make sure you're liking, retweeting, giving us all that beautiful engagement as we are the little podcast that could and we need that grassroots movement. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same social media platforms. Shay, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane 6 on Twitter, at Walk of Flock of Shane 6 on Instagram, and even bartender shane six on mastodon i created hey. one of those just in case twitter blew up just mastodon to, you know, just to get it out there i put a flock pod account out there just to see you never we'll know see. yeah you never know well, well and it looks see. like tiktok's about to get banned too so yeah you know i mean I, th- I think we were on the right edge of that you know we haven't uh haven't jumped into that one yet but um i want to just touch a bit. i mean i didn't even talk to you about this uh before I mean, pre-pod here shane but i just want to touch on you know we've, we've we've been gone for a little while our episodes have been a little spotty here uh definitely not as much news kind of going on there in the duck world but <clears throat> Just having some stuff going on in the personal life. Uh, those of you that know and have reached out, I really appreciate all the love and support that I've received from everybody. But uh, it's just been it's been a rough, rough couple weeks here in the in the Pluid household. So uh, appreciate everybody's support and uh, really, really happy to be back. And uh, I know my mom would be would be super happy. We're here talking duck sports. So that that's 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 the best part right there. Uh, let's jump right into it here, Shane. The news cycle is light. The news cycle is very light, but we've got a hoops heavy podcast here for you today. Just kind of breaking down the rosters and kind of taking a look to the future as we also talk a little bit about the past. But first and foremost, um, NFL draft, baby. NFL draft coming up on April 27th. We have some interesting news out there about a couple ducks that are in the draft right now. Christian Gonzalez stock up. Newell Sewell stock down, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, kind of, and it's it's one reporter, but you never know. It does kind of seem like it's a it's kind of collecting the the hive mind, if you will, a little bit about what's going on there with Swell, but we'll talk about that here in just a second. Let's touch on Gonzo first. Uh, Pro Football Focus has him going number four to the Colts in their latest mock. Is that crazy to you, Shane? I mean, I think it's a product more of, you know, that kind of post-combine boost that he received from performing really well between his measurements and his, you know, his intangibles. His 40 speed, I think, is what kind of separated him from the pack. And just improving on what he what he did previously, running his best time ever, as far as I read, uh, at the combine, that's always nice. And it, for that, that being said, I think it also says something to teams that he performs his best with the most pressure is on. Um, and that is what the NFL is. It's the biggest stage. And some people get kind of gun shy around that stage. And some people, they rise to the occasion. They need that extra pressure that that pushes them over the edge and unlocks that next level for them. So I, I don't think it's a surprise. I mean, 
I think that his draft stock is, kind of came as a shock at first, just because college football, it's, it's really hard to tell with these corners sometimes, just because they don't get thrown to a lot. He did make a lot of big plays at Oregon. And I think the most surprising thing is just having a duck be projected that high after kind of what was looked at as a lackluster season. Well, especially for that defense. I mean, for teams to be able to look past, you know, the overall statistical breakdown of that defense and kind of separate Gonzo's performance. I mean, that's that's what they get paid to do, right? To find those um, those kind of diamonds in the rough and those kinds of situations. But I think this is crazy. I don't think there's any way in the world that he goes number four. I would love to see it just for the the brand and for Oregon and things of that nature. But I think this is uh, this is clickbait from PFF, and they're known for having some some interesting takes and some interesting articles out that, there to try no to doubt, get some. No um, but yeah, I think this is a little high. I see him. Uh, I think the Falcons are kind of interesting at eight. Uh, I think the Eagles are interesting at 10. Um, I think those are kind of some some interesting landing spots. I do think he goes top 10, but I think the Colts are going quarterback one way or another, whether that's Will Levis or whether that's that number four pick in a package being sent to the Baltimore Ravens for Mr. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. I will say that one thing that might give him a little bit of a benefit early in this draft is the fact that Sauce Gardner is the reigning defensive rookie of the year. And a little bit of recency bias. I don't agree with that. I think that uh, corner is the hardest position to play in football. I think it's harder than quarterback. Mm. But I mean, but that being that having that recent success and everybody kind of wanting to like, you know, the NFL, I mean, pro sports in general are about trends. And I mean, I think it's smarter to go after a more established corner than to try and develop one and kind of find you know, uh, a needle in the haystack as far as like these first rounds and the drafts are concerned. But that might be something that gives him a little bit of a boost. And, you know, the fact that teams with quarterbacks in this very quarterback heavy early part of the draft are going to be kind of scratching their head as there's, there's a lot of movement around them. I mean, if if Anthony Richardson, Stroud and Young all go in the top four, which could happen, which could definitely happen. And my Seahawks are sitting there at five. Now that would be interesting if all the quarterbacks are gone. I think they know they're looking a lot more at edge, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing Christian Gonzalez in a uh, Seattle Seahawks uniform. I think that'd be but, I mean, fun. At the same time, if all those quarterbacks go in the first five, then you're still looking at like those Georgia kids. Oh, Will Anderson's. Yeah, there's still so yeah, much talent I mean, out there. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Well, and I'm only t- saying three. I'm not even Will Levis. No, I think if I think the top four picks will be Richardson, Stroud, Young, and Will Richardson in some order. Anthony Richardson and Anthony Richardson and Will Richardson, I think, are both okay. going to go in the top four. So I think it's going to be the three quarterbacks in one edge, and I think those are. I mean, for the most, I mean, I would love to see Anthony Richardson fall. Don't get me wrong, but we're yeah, we're getting deep into the weeds here. We're already off off base here a little bit. I'm like, yeah, what were we talking about? Christian <laughs> <laughs> Gonzalez. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about Nosewell now. Uh, stock down. Um, Jeff Risden kind of lists some of the reasons why. If you want to see, you know, exactly some of the things that he's seen, uh, you can go check out DucksWire.USAToday.com. What a great website! And get the full breakdown and even check out his article. I think it's on draft hype through Ducks through uh, USAToday.com. But I mean, some of the stuff he's talking about, like stiff hips, things of that nature. I mean, I know he doesn't pop on the film again. That defense really struggled. He just looked like a player that was thinking too much on the football field last year and wasn't able to rely on his instincts. And with his work ethic and just his high character, I don't see him falling much lower than middle of the second round. I mean, I, I haven't even looked at like what his projections are. That's just off literally off the top of my dome. And now I'm kind of tempted to Google and kind of see where they are projecting him. But do you, do you see him falling much further than that out of the second round? Yes. I, I mean, honestly, I can, mm. uh, just because of the, the measurables and the, 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 the things that we can kind of quantify on paper with, Sewell aren't really impressing a lot of the scouts and especially didn't watch a lot of practical football. And we've already talked about, you know, the, uh, the West coast bias enough on this podcast, but um, I, I do think that Noah Sewell is a much better football player. And he's one of these guys that once you get him on the field and he can kind of be let loose. Cause I think that's a big difference too, about when we saw the super productive Noah Sewell was he was allowed to kind of do whatever. And the defense was kind of built around him and he could, he had this role where he could kind of kind of be this uh, 
freelancer in the middle of the field and he could really attack and use his athleticism from sideline to sideline. And I think under Dan Lanning, it was a little bit more of, dude, you are like the the leader of this defense. You got to make sure everybody's in the right place. You're going to be responsible for kind of everybody. And whether or not he did a good job, it's going to be impossible for us to tell because we weren't in those huddles. And But I do think that's why we did see a little bit of his pr- production kind of um, slow down just a little bit. And, you know, some of the highlight plays and stuff like that. Yep. But at that same time, I think that if he is given that chance and once they get him on field in training camp is where he's going to kind of impress the scouts. I was hoping that it was going to be more or not the scouts his his you know, coaching staff at that yes. point. Yes. I was hoping that it was going to be pro day in the combine and he was just going to come out and slay it and run these really fast times. And he was going to kind of surpass his physical limitations as far as how the the league is. A, it's a very big league. And I mean, no soul isn't the biggest interior linebacker. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, again, draft is April 27th. We will have a much more in-depth breakdown of all the prospects that the ducks have put forward and kind of where we think they're going to go here in the next few weeks. Cause we need that duck tent, baby. We need that duck tent. Oh, that duck tent. Uh, something else we missed that came out, uh, Sabrina UNESCO signature shoe announced the Nike Sabrina one going to be dropped this summer. Shane, first impressions. I love it. I love it. Um, I liked it more than the, the Sabrina PE that she got, uh, last year, which, uh, you know, is another kind of Kobe derivative shoe, but I, I really like this it's sleek. We already got the first four colorways coming out. It, uh, one thing I really like about it, definitely an on the court shoe, but I could see this being worn out in the wild as well. Maybe not with jeans. Let's not get crazy. It's not 2011, but some sweatpants, you know, out, you know, casually getting coffee if i see somebody wearing these i wouldn't think it's strange sometimes like sometimes you see like kds out in the wild you're like what are you doing lebron's you know lebron's in the wild is crazy yeah yeah lebron's in the wild i can see some of those kds especially some of like the what the colorways you know where people are kind of trying to show out a little bit more I'm, I must be stuck in 2011 because I have no problem rocking a good pair of basketball shoes. And I mean, in the rare event that I wear a pair of jeans, which might be like 10 times know. out of the year. I don't think I've ever seen you wear jeans. Wow, I've seen bro, you in slacks. slacks. Oh, yeah. Slacks. I've seen you in sweats. I've seen you in shorts. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen denim on your body, actually. Which is interesting because I'm Canadian. You know, you'd think you think the, the denim would be a little bit more yeah. uh, part of the, the repertoire. I used to have a dope jean jacket that I used to rock back in the day. I might have to bring that back in some fashion or another, but yeah, I really like this shoe. Uh, definitely a, a Kobe esque, you know, definitely a, uh, a salute, you know, to one of her big inspirations for sure. It's a beautiful shoe. Uh, I could see myself copping a couple pairs, you know, this summer, definitely want to try to get Miga a pair cause she's getting into hooping and whatnot also. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's a really nice shoe and I agree with you. Definitely could be rocked in the wild. Um, not quite the, I would have liked to, you know, me, you know, me, Shane, maybe a little bit of a, one of those colorways being a little brighter, maybe bringing mm, a little more They're subtle. Little, yeah. They're pretty subtle. They're pretty, uh, I think they played it pretty safe. So I'm, I'm curious that- to see. That might speak to like the Sabrina personality as, as, you know, as bolsters of a, as a person she is, as a character, she doesn't really give you, she's not the, the biggest personality. We don't even see a ton of her personality, uh, you know, on the court as, as much. She's not a Kate and Clark, you know, she's, she's smirking at you. She's giving you subtle, you know, she'll talk a little bit, but she's not, she's not going to get caught by the camera. She's not going to be waving to the crowd. You know what I mean? Like that's not her. She's out there to handle her business. Uh, last part of news, Shane, uh, we didn't even talk about this. Uh, happy Julio Rodriguez day. Happy opening day oh, for baseball yeah. today. You got my Mariners Thank gear you. on. We're, we're excited about it. I always forget who's your baseball team. Uh, the Seattle Mariners. Okay. All right. Okay. But you're not, you're not like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not die hard. Um, no, I like, I don't know. I, my, cause people, it's not even like a Northwest thing as much as, uh, like just being, I'm, I was born in 1990, man. They were like Dude. the coolest team as a yep, kid. Absolutely. So like the Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Ken Griffey, uh, even into like the Mike Cameron years, I'd go yep. to, uh, I went to a decent amount of games. Like first game I went to, I saw them play against CC Sabathia when he pitched for Cleveland. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've been, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Mariners fan, um, but I'm not as, I'm just not as intense with the baseball stuff. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, happy Julio Day to everybody out there who celebrates. All right, let's do it. Let's jump into hoops, Shane. Uh, let's go women's first. Let's talk about uh, these Lady Ducks. 
finished the season 20 and 15 overall, uh, losing in the quarterfinals of the NIT, which is going to be a theme to Washington. They lost 59 to 63. Um, like before we get into like returners and, and incoming and all that kind of stuff, give me just your zoomed out kind of elevator pitch on this season for the Ducks. So like, was this season a success for the Oregon Ducks? I think we it's safe to say it was kind of far from it. Uh, we knew that this team wasn't going to be up to the level that we'd seen in the past few years. But I mean, we saw how many teams made it into the, the you know March Madness from the Pac-12 and just how strong of a conference Utah making a deep run. A couple other teams kind of having a dis- disappointing bid in the tournament. But I, I'd say it was a little bit of a disappointment. I think, you know, both the men's and the women's seasons were plagued with injuries, but that's basketball, baby. I mean, we, we kind of, I keep hearing it, you know, like uh, there's been more coverage on the men's side of it, you know, whoa, go figure. Uh, but just kind of like, oh, injury this, injury that. And I'm looking at every other team in the country that has a successful season. I'm like, where's this? perfectly non-injured team that's neither here nor there um i do think that this was kind of a year that was a bit of like a patch year where it seemed like kelly graves was kind of throwing some things together i mean it would have been awesome to have a maddie Scher, a sydney parish uh a kylie watson on this team taylor mixell all would have made just incredible differences Uh, Tina Pow Pow, I think, played through some injuries a lot more than probably we even know about. Um, so I'm- yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping more comes out. I mean, obviously, respect her privacy and things of that nature. But she obviously was was going through some things this season. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, the, the elephant in the room was Sedona Prince. I mean, I think Filipina Shea had an excellent season. Uh, I every week watching her play, I was seeing her add stuff to her game and just become more comfortable, become more physical, become more dominant at times. I think it's really important to remember that this wasn't supposed to be her role where she was going to be learning on the fly like that. She was supposed to be picking these things up in much smaller increments and really building her confidence this year, playing the kind of the role that Kennedy Basham did at the end of the year, which she was at, you know, 8.4 minutes. And we saw Filipina Shea at 24 and a half. And she would would have played more minutes than that. She got herself in foul trouble because we saw a little bit of undisciplined stuff on defense, which I'm sure she'll improve on. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a bit of like a patch here, like I said, uh, but I, I do think that I think they would have liked to have found themselves a little bit closer to the middle of the pack and, you know, snuck into the tournament there. Uh, it's just it's it's one of those years where they're, they they built a nice foundation moving forward, though. Um, I'm going to zag just slightly and I'm going to say I'm going to take into consideration everything that happened at the beginning of the season. And I'm going to say that overall, I think this season was a success. I mean, this team had games this year where they were playing seven girls there <laughs> and for kelly to kind of keep everybody together and not lose more bodies off the ship and, and this team played hard every single game and the pac-12 i think was a little underrated this year just with how good it was from the top to bottom and i think they got a little unlucky i think you know we, we can look back at a few games the the utah game you know jumps to mind for sure you know how often does india rogers mm-hmm. miss a layup like that um, just a couple things, you know, if they go one way or the other, then you're looking at this team, I, th- I think, really overachieving for everything that happened. Again, losing your star player, the player that I guarantee this offense was designed around, Sedona Prince, a few weeks before the season starts. I, can't, I mean, just as a coach, I can't imagine what that does, not only to your your X's and O's, but also just your team's confidence. You know, and for Kelly to be able to keep this team together for the most part. I mean, we did lose Jenna Asai early in the season to transfer and transfers have been a problem for Kelly. I think we've seen that now. I mean, you mentioned a list of five girls that would have been huge assets to this program if any one of them could have stuck around and really and really, you know, battled it through. So, I mean, losing to Washington sucks. Playing in the NIT is not fun. But with all things considered, I think that. It just this was an unlucky team. I think this was just an. I think that's the best way to put it. This was an unlucky team that played but hard. At that same time, I mean, I I agree with everything you said, especially with how hard they play. Like, uh, I mean, I thought this year this women's team was by far more fun to watch than yes. the, the men's team, and in a yes. similar outcome to a game, I would much rather watch this women's team just because there was a lot more togetherness, like you said, the effort. But my my what I was saying originally is like, yeah, they did have a lot of bad breaks. A lot of other teams had bad breaks, too. And you're right. So to say that, like, they got unlucky, I would say is still 
a disappointment. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I'm disappointed that they ended up being the unluckiest team in the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And this and this is why, I mean, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. We're just looking at the coin from two, two different mm-hmm. sides. Yeah. And I think, again, that's why we're good podcast partners, Shane. That's why we're good <laughs> podcast partners. All right. India Rogers, WNBA. Sedona Prince, WNBA. Jenna Asai, transfer. Uh, obviously losing India Rogers was kind of a surprise. I didn't see her name initially in the list, you know, when the, the deadline passed. So I guess I, I guess it's a surprise to me because I allowed myself to get a little bit of hope this morning when I woke up that she may decide to come back because she is projected what late first round, something like that. I just, mm-hmm. if she comes back, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Get, go get the bag, do what's best for you, do what's best for your family. But um, obviously India Rogers is the biggest loss on this list. Well, I mean, to my counter would be that next year there's a lot of guards coming early. True. Uh, this year we're having a lot of bigs go early in the draft. I mean, it's, it's Leah Boston's year basically. Uh, that forward from Villanova. It's it's a they're missing a lot of guards, so teams are going to take a little bit more of a chance on an undersized guard like India Rogers. Uh, I don't know what her success is going to be like in the WNBA. I think the fact that she went on kind of a scoring flurry at the end of the season there, put up a couple thirty point bids that's what really started moving the needle on her draft stock. So to go for it and to put yourself in that position right now before uh, easy FUD and Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark and these other players are going to be going into the draft. I think that it's, it's kind of a striking while the kettle is hot situation. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good call. And it's a, it's a point that I didn't consider Uh, also losing seniors, the, the triple H here, Elise Hurst, Taya, Taya Hansen. Yeah, Hanson. Yeah, man, I don't know why I always second guess myself there. And uh, Taylor Hosen Dove, you know, role players, uh, players at times that played, you know, definite uh, important, um, had, had important moments for this team throughout the season. But this is the kind of depth. These are the kind of players that Kelly's going to have to now target in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean these these players they they did have a big impact. I think especially Taya Hanson. A lot of times she was first off the bench. Uh, she ended up starting a few games there. The toughness, the physicality. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that needs to be replaced. Um, if you look at kind of scoring output and at least numbers jumping off the page, Taya Hanson nineteen point three minutes, but uh, six points, one assist, two rebounds. Hurst sixteen point three minutes, five points, one assist, one rebound. Hosendove twelve point seven minutes. Three points, five rebounds, one assist. So it's not a ton of production that they're going to be missing off the bench there. But where I think, is, especially with Hosendove uh, and uh, Hanson, is the physicality. Toughness. And then having Hurst with just another uh, another on-ball defender, I think we might be replacing that a little bit with some of the incoming freshmen here. But yeah, that the the strength the the edge the the mean that's where i think they're going to need to come and find yep. another player to come in and be that that uh that enforcer on the wing boy it'd be nice to have kylie watson in the program right about oh, now stop dude oh man oh, especially just boy. how good everybody was playing the tournament i don't know if you caught any indiana mm-hmm. or oh Notre it was Dame. it was rough dude it was rough. Mickey was out there playing like a freaking rock star, man. Like Sydney uh, Parrish takes a charge under 90 seconds to basically like seal a game for Indiana in the second round. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, I mean, I love still rooting for these players, but God, that was hurting my soul. COVID, man. The COVID yeah, of man. it all. You know, it really is the what ifs that could be written about the last, you know, five years really in sports. Is uh, it's a fa- that could be a fascinating book. I'm sure somebody's already uh, working on it. All right, so we kind of talked about who's leaving. Uh, we do have a lot of pro, a lot of players returning to the program: Tina Pow-Pow, Filipina Che, Chance Gray, Grace Van Sluten, Kennedy Basham, and then Sammy Wagner who's coming in off of a red shirt. And then some incoming freshmen: Sophia Bell out of Jesuit High School, Sarah Rambus out of IMG, and then Bella Hamill, who's a guard LCC transfer. He loved to see the community college transfer pipeline still alive there. What player of that group are you most excited for next season, Shane? I think I already know your answer. Uh, well, Sophia Bell, I think, is the the low-hanging fruit answer here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just played in the McDonald's American game just 48 hours ago. Um, and, you know, is somebody is a local talent, like Justin said, from, from Jesuit High, um, that I think is really easy to get excited about. It's going to be really fun to see her get paired with, like, Chance Gray. And, I mean, there's going to be a lot of exciting guard play. But I'm the player I'm most intrigued by slash excited is going to be Sammy Wagner 
Oh, that, this, that's the answer. Okay, go for it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I really didn't. I mean, I, I was aware of her as being like the basically the lone bench player who wasn't playing last year. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm and excitement off the bench. Uh, she's blonde, a lot of just energy. Seems like a great real towel waiver. Yep, great e- towel Exactly. Uh, she's six foot one. She's listed as kind of a guard forward. She's from San Antonio, Texas. She was a four star. Again, this is the 2022 class where she was mm-hmm. ranked 44th overall. Her senior year, she averaged 37 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, and two blocks. <laughs> now, this isn't like Timbuktu fucking like Wyoming. This is San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, you know, she was enthralled. And I mean, a lot of big high schools down there, they take high school sports very seriously. 37, 11, two, and two blocks. At and 6'1? Like one? Six, one, I'm, I don't know, like, I'm like, what's Kelly Graves got cooking up here? Like, I don't know, like, is, is this, did, did he see her as being like, hey, you, you're going to be more valuable coming in with this new class, you know, we're going to have kind of this weird year going on, like, let's just go ahead, or, you know, is that, is that kind of, are these stats to be taken with a grain of salt in some way? But I, that's why I was kind of like looking at like maybe my projected, um, starting lineup for next year. I mean, we got Tina Pow Pow, you got Chance Gray, you got Grace Van Sloot, and you got Philly Shea. Like, is it like who I don't, I actually don't know. Like I assumed it was going to be Sophia Bell, especially Kelly Graves likes to have like a frosh out there, but I technically Sammy Wagner, I believe will be a red shirt freshman as well. So I don't know. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch going into next year is like who, who is going to be that second guard slash wing spot. That's such a more exciting answer than what I thought you were going to give. So that's beautiful. That is absolutely fantastic. No, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, I'll, I'll take the answer. No, you know what? I'm going to, I'll leave Van Sluten out there because I think everybody's excited about Van Sluten. I want to see what chance gray can do next season with a full off season with this coaching staff and at the university and no longer having to worry about those freshman transitions and classes. And you kind of have the lay of the land. I'm really intrigued because she showed just some, I mean, it's, it's overstated, but she's got that duck in her. She, Mm -hmm. she got that duck in her, Shane. She was out there uh, flexing a little bit on people. And I'm just, I'm excited. Her confidence looked like it was a lot higher at the end of the season. She looked a lot more empowered by Kelly. So I am really, really excited to see what she can do next season. And I think, yeah, she will be starting there with pow pow going to be really looked at to take on some of that Rogers production level, especially you know how high I was on Tatina Pow Pow before she came to the University of Oregon. I don't know if she's ever going to become the player that I thought she could become. I hope that it was just, you know, injuries and things holding her back this year and she can really get back and become, you know, become that player that I thought she could be. But even if she's just a, a solid, you know, point guard, you know, run the show kind of a thing, Chance Gray falling into those India Rogers production minutes and those opportunities. That's, that's really enticing to me. So that's, that's a player that I'm really excited for and we'll definitely be watching here in the off season to see as she goes forward. All right, Shane, anything else here on this women's side before we jump over to the men? Um, yeah, just to piggyback Tina Pow Pow. I, I think you might be right. Uh, last year, 32 and a half minutes, she was 13, three and four. Um, I think it'd be cool if she became kind of more of like a nine, three and nine, kind of mm, player a mm. uh, little bit less emphasis on scoring the ball but just really like falling into that like sue bird kind of role where she's really just making sure that everybody else is getting higher quality looks uh she kind of where where i was disappointed with her was she kind of just kind of looked lost in the offense she just looked like another duck at times um where i think that she can still kind of stand out without being that like 17 point game scorer yeah and then uh very last thing i want to say about women's basketball program about a prior player uh before i forget minu moore yeah great call at, at uh texas christian tcu mm-hmm. after spending two years at sacramento state helping um oh what's his name former duck assistant coach who i cannot remember his name uh, yeah with the glasses he recruited yep. everybody <laughs> we look like we know what we're talking about um we're getting them into the ncaa tournament sadly losing in the first round but they were a 15 seed so it's kind yep. of tough uh her and uh Nara Sabli was on that coaching staff as well using her 
time away from the New York Liberty very wisely. So that that's just really cool. It would be cool to see her eventually come back to the University of Oregon, the coaching staff with a more elevated role. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good to see those those ducks out there flying around and, and doing well and uh, reaching their goals. You know, I know that uh, coaching was something that she really wanted to get involved in after school. So good for her. All right. Men's side. Uh, if, if I'm not saying the same things over and over again. It just sounds like it just sounds like it. <laughs> Men finished 21 and 15 overall. They lose 58 to 61 to Wisconsin in the quarterfinals of the NIT. Uh, before we go into the, I want to, I want to talk about Dana's comments here, Shane, uh, here at the end of the season. I think that's a good place for us to kind of start because it's just a, it's a good jumping off point. Um, obviously very frustrated in that interview before he even had a chance to sit down. He was already getting questions, you know, from the reporters and stuff like that in the press conference. But I think the, the quote that everybody kind of jumped on and, uh, the one that everybody, fair, fair that, enough. yeah. Then, and, and fairly, uh, I quote, if it's me, get rid of me, but 3,300 people is not enough. So we've talked about this before Shane on this podcast, mm-hmm. how Eugene is not a basketball hotbed. Mm-mm. Eugene has a hard time. I mean, even some of those best duck teams, you don't see incredible sellouts and you don't see, I mean, UCLA comes to town, you know, big schools like that, you're going to see a sellout, but it is tough to get butts in the seats there. And you've kind of seen this since the transition to Matthew Knight arena. Also, I think there's a few, a few big things that have happened over the last 15 years, that transition, uh, you've seen, you know, before COVID hit, Oregon was averaging around 8,500 um, in the building for every game. This last season, 5,300. You know, so the COVID impact of it all, and that's we kind of talked about it already before. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Let me just throw it out there because I've got some more direct questions, but let me just get your kind of zoomed out. What are your thoughts here? I think we've had our criticisms as of Matthew Knight as a basketball arena, especially when it's juxtaposed against yes. Matt Court, where Matt Court was an environment, Matthew Knight. I think we both think that it feels more like a concert venue in which basketball games are played and not the other way around, which people built the building kind of yep. built it that way. Exactly. So um, it's not, you know, there's, there's not like, there's not stuff hanging from the rafters. It doesn't feel like a lot of history. It's a great place. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like I'm bitching because I love having a, what is it? It's like eight or 10 years old at this point. Uh, maybe longer. I don't know. Time's been weird, but uh, we have this basically Time's brand new yes, arena yes, um, that we, that we get to go to all the time. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good viewing experience. Um, comfy seats, stuff like that. Uh, but I <laughs> Lots just, of bathrooms, I, you know, like there, yeah. are, there are some good things about <laughs> there's, it. There's for sure. good things about it. There's worse places to watch a game. But it's just, it, it lacks the environment. And I think that that's part of what kind of brings people into basketball games is having like that raucous student section, that kind of like that, that, the energy in the building. And I think, so what draws people into Matthew Knight is big matchups and like ESPN being there and things like that. When you watch games on the Pac-12 network and you see like your friend on TV, doesn't even look like you're seeing your friend on TV. Cause, like it's all <laughs> grainy and shit. Like you take a picture and you send it to him and it's even more pixelated. Cause like Pac-12 network is so ass and like, they're like the last network in the world that doesn't have HD cameras. But, um, I mean, I, I think that's all part of it. Uh, we can get into the products on the floor. I Absolutely. mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I don't know if we're kind of like, I don't want to bury the lead here, but uh, yeah, I mean, Dana, if you want people to come watch the games, how about you make a couple threes? People like that, you know? Yeah. People like watching you guys make basketball plays and shots and not look like they're dejected fucking, you know, whatever. Well, he talked about that. He did say that they've just got to be better. You know, that when the product on the floor is better, there are more people there. But I think he has a good point. That was a, I mean, say what you want about the NIT. But 3,300 people in the building, I think there's a bigger picture here, too. I mean, he kind of referenced Wisconsin's game against Loyola, you know, and how they had like 10,000 people in the building. You know, want to you want to know why they had 10,000 people in the building? They were giving tickets away for free. Yeah. So if the U of O wants to create an environment, start $5 tickets, you know, for these mm-hmm. kinds of games, you know, and get get off your high horse. Yes, you're the University of Oregon. Ooh, you're Nike U. Ooh, you're in the mm-hmm. Conference of Champions. Guess what? 
You had 3,300 people. And that looks terrible to recruits. Looks terrible to, you know, there's a, there's a TV deal going on right now. Sure would be nice to have, you know, a raucous crowd and a good TV viewing environment and things of that nature. But yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about kind of the, the other stuff, the off the court stuff. <clears throat> Let's talk about this product now because this team, like Dana said, they, they weren't good enough. They just flat out were not good enough. They were not fun to watch. I will say they got better. Yeah. The, the NIT games were fun to watch. I did watch all of them. I was able to. That was also wonderful to actually be able to watch the Ducks play this year. Oh, wasn't it fun to be able to watch the Ducks men's NIT games, but not the women's but NIT not the games? Women's. Yeah, that was also. They weren't even on. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't not even on, on any the, TV. The of alternate. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that was atrocious. All right. Losses. Tyrone Williams to the portal, Kalel Ware to the portal, Will Richardson to graduation. A lot of question marks, a lot, a lot of question marks on this roster. Before, actually, let's, let's jump, let's do the same thing we did for the women. Shane, I know the answer to this question. Was this season a success for the Oregon men's basketball team? (laughs) In so many ways, no. In so many ways. Um, like I said before, yeah, they just weren't fun to watch. If anything, I was just, you know, I thought the men's side of the Pac-12 this year was kind of wide open. Yeah. I mean, you had Arizona and UCLA is obviously the two best teams. But, you know, other than that, it was kind of just anybody's race. And we saw some teams and like some not some teams that we didn't have high expectations for make a couple th- three, four game runs and kind of look good. And uh, we didn't really see that as much from Oregon. You know, the win against Arizona was cool. Uh, when it followed Dante and everything was going right and everything was clicking, it looked so good, but so often it just wasn't clicking. And like, it just kind of felt like Khalil Ware's season kind of encapsulated like this team's effort. Uh, it was like, Hey, come watch the university of Oregon. We have a five-star freshman, number seven player. Watch him like jog around for six minutes at a time and then yeah. get pulled for not boxing out. And, uh, that was kind of it. And, uh, you know, Quincy Garrier, I thought was kind of a fun, like, season for him just because he was so bad in the start of the year but then he like embraced this new role and i think he kind of like helped the team in the long run but overall i'm just kind of glad that season's over for the most part absolutely absolutely and you you hit on a lot of a lot of the the touchstones there uh just they, they weren't fun to watch you know dana touched on it here in this last game where they got 40 deflections the effort level was a lot better here late in the season but it can't we can't keep doing this dana we can't keep doing this, you know, where it starts off awful because whatever's happening in the off season, whatever's happening in, you know, training camp or whatever, something's gotta something's gotta give. We we gotta start seasons better. We gotta we gotta be, you know, playing well at the start of the season and not just relying on this Dana bump that we're gonna get late in the year. And I don't I don't know what he can do differently. I mean, I've got some ideas and we'll talk about that here maybe at the end of the the preview here or into the the segment but um okay let's get back into it so yeah williams ware and richardson all gone uh i think it's interesting that clell ware has you know this massive list of teams that are interested in him but you see one <laughs> conference missing very uh blatantly from that list and no pac-12 school has reached out yet i find that very fascinating I don't know if, I mean, Will Richardson, obviously, you know, most games in program history, you know, checkered, you know, up and down career here at the University of Oregon. I don't know if any of those losses are huge enough that we really need to talk about them all that more, to be honest. Not really. No. <laughs> I mean, so, Will Rich, yeah, like it's it's the history and it's prestige and it's the heart. expectation, but like. I also think that we need to kind of reevaluate what having a five-star player means. Like, is it an automatic ticket to a Final Four? No. No, no it's not, not anymore. Um, not anymore. Five stars are five stars. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest, like, outliers for Will Richardson is that he was a five-star that stuck around at one school for five years. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. That's a good call. That might be, uh, might be the last time. All right. Speaking of whether guys are going to come and go, uh, we got a lot of question marks here. And Folly Dante, Quincy Guerriere, uh, Waldo Soares, Lockwer, and Shane favorite Brennan Rigsby. Shane, do you want to take a gambit at predicting what of which of those players come back and which of those players transfer or take their talents to the NBA? And NBA is really only Dante. <laughs> Dante, I think, comes back. 
Oh, I do. Intra- I love that. I would love um, to see him come back. Just because of the shooting, I think he just needs to prove that he can be a little bit more liable from like 12 to 15 feet. Yep. Um, whether or not he can go and prove that in like a combine or some sort of workout situation, I don't know. But if I'm talking about just purely the way I see it, I see Dante comes back, adds that jump shot, and becomes – because, I mean, if he just goes the way he is with that type of production, he's just one of these like – Jalen Smith guys who's just like eight minutes a game or whatever. I just I don't know what if if that's the career path he wants. And he's maybe um, a late second rounder, right? Maybe. Mate, yeah. Just because of potential, I guess. Yeah. But then there's the injury stuff. I don't know. Um Soars, fuck. I hope he doesn't come back, but he probably will. <laughs> uh, because I think fucking Dane Altman loves him. I think Dane loves yeah. Waldo. <laughs> so Soars, I'll say he comes back. For better or for worse, um, Garrier leaves. He transfers out to like I don't know where. It's probably like a Big East team. Um, goes back. Goes back to the Big East. Who's the other one? Rigsby. Oh shit, man, that's another good one. I don't know. It seemed like he was always hurt, but then I don't know. He, God, he's so good in the press. I say Rigsby comes back. I'm going to blame it on injuries. Um, was there another player? Lockwer, baby. Oh, Lockwer. Lockwer's coming back. Lockwer's oh, coming he, back. Yeah, he yeah. got like 700% <laughs> increase in playing time this year. He's coming back. I think I'm with you. Uh, I think Dante's the big question mark here. I think, I think there's a really good chance all five come back. I think that there's a really good chance. I think if I'm going to put money, I think, yeah, Lockwer and I think Waldo are almost, you know, 90% locks to return to the program. And I think that that depth with everything else coming in next year, again, Dana's going to have to hit the portal because he's, especially if Dante leaves, you know, we're going to really have to hit the portal hard. But uh, I think, yeah, man, Dante would be interesting if he does come back. That would be that would be really interesting to watch and just see his progression. Uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew has said that he is not transferring, but is leaving his options open to go overseas and uh, maybe get the bag playing professional basketball over there. I think that he is a bigger cog in all of. I mean, than a lot of people realize. Mm-hmm. You know how much Dana loves point guards and how hard he is on point guards. So I think having him come back and kind of be that almost buffer between Dana and Jackson Shellstead, so KB can take some of the, the brunt and so Shellstead doesn't just get run into the ground on day one, I think that makes a big difference. And just having another good ball handler, I think that's that's really, really important in the Pac-12. Do you think KB comes back or do you think he goes overseas? Boy, I hope so. I I could see him going overseas. I think his college career has gotten a little bit frustrating, especially after last year. He was kind of like second fiddle in Colorado for a while, and then you know got kind of given ooh, aunt, let me, got given the uh, the keys there, and it didn't really. I don't know. Then they then they finally lost to Oregon at home. Um, <laughs> yeah. So then he goes to Oregon. <laughs> I, you know, I I just I really like his game. Um, I, he's got that kind of like Eric Bledsoe body, those like guards with the long arms. I think they're so valuable, especially in the college game. I, I do think that he could level up uh, at Oregon, but I could also see him being like an awesome backup point guard in Israel or something and yep. make a decent amount of money. Um, mm-hmm. I'll never kind of fault those guys for doing that, especially no. after he's he's been in college for a minute now. He knows what it's about. He might just be over going to like, you know, chemistry class exactly (laughs) you know what i'm not getting up at 8 a.m anymore fuck that yeah i'm gonna go live in spain and hang out for a little while that sounds Mm -hmm. like a lot of fun uh nate biddle and jermaine cuisinard are confirmed coming back and then of course we've talked about this class a lot uh jackson shellstad coming in as a point guard kj evans power forward mookie cook small forward and then recent uh commitment transfer small forward jadrian tracy and then, of course, the 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 elephant in the room that everybody's wanting to talk about, the potential player that could join this class, Bronny James. So of the of the the returners and then with those recruits, Shane, I'm going to ask you the same question. What player are you most excited for or most intrigued by uh, for this next season? I think I'm going to go with Cousinard. Uh, I just, I really like the way he plays. I really like the way he handles himself. Uh, he is a elite gum chewer. 
uh, <laughs> on the court. If everybody notices the way he chooses gum, it's you can. He doesn't even need like to argue calls or like really express himself physically because he can just chew his gum in a very way that you 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 feel what he's getting. <laughs> um, I think it's a very it's a very good way of communication. But I I just think that it you know when he kind of came on last year, it was like oh okay, is this what this team needs? You know, a guard that can actually get to the rim that has like a scoring identity, but is also a playmaker. Um, and I just hope that next year he's able to come in with a fresh start. There isn't this other guard that's kind of getting in his way and kind of taking a lot of his minutes and kind of disrupting the way he fits in. I think that they can kind of build around him with these young players with uh, Shellstad. And I mean, Mookie Cook is listed as a three, but I mean, he's got guard skills. So, I mean, we'll see him kind of ball handling as well and playmaking. So I think Cousinard is going to be kind of, he's going to be looked at as a, a leader. He's going to be a veteran on this team. He's been around the block. And I think that with a lot of stuff on his shoulders, I'm, I'm excited to see where he can take this team. I'm excited for Mookie Cook because I think that he should be. I think he's going to come in and I think he's going to start as a freshman. That's that's my prediction. I think if you look, I mean, unless something crazy happens in the transfer portal and we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the big targets that the Ducks have here on the board. But if I look at this team right now and if let's let's say Dante comes back, right? I think their starting lineup next year, and if KB comes back, I think they go Bartholomew, Cuisinard, Mookie, Biddle, Dante. I like that starting five a lot. And I think that takes some of the pressure off of Mookie also. <clears throat> I mean, he's going to come in and he's going to put pressure on himself. And you saw how he played uh, with all those other high-level recruits in the McDonald's All-American game. He was not afraid at all to, to go out there. And so I'm just – I think – his talent, his his athleticism, I think he's going to fit in really well. I'm, well, I'll get to that at the end. But I, yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited to see what Mookie Cook can do in an Oregon uniform. All right, does Bronny come? The, I think oh. the only thing that gets in the way of Mookie Cook starting, and it's a big thing, is Dane Altman's undying affection for Soares. So true. It's it's actually written in a contract in blood. The Soros must start every game that he plays. All right. Does Bronny James come to the University of Oregon, Shane? I'm saying fucking yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that smile on his face. I love it. (laughs) I don't know, man. It seemed there. So I watched like the dunk contest and the, uh, uh, I watched some of the all American game. My wife wasn't as keen on watching as I was, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> she's like this is high school I'm like yeah but they're all stars um <laughs> the court was cool but i was i was mostly watching to see Bronny james interaction with with mookie and and kind of seeing like what those recruiting pitches were like you know him being i think the only undeclared player that was out there the only one um, yep they don't like undecided guys at that game no they don't um uh, but they do love selling them tickets and yes, it was funny do. that he got fucking second in the dunk contest and if you watch sports center you swear he won every round but uh and he like back door got into the finals but anyways uh he was like missing everything it was it was not a fun dunk contest to watch at all um <laughs> did you catch any of that i didn't watch the dunk contest i did watch the game in its entirety i was actually in they were playing hard. That didn't yeah, look like an all star game. That was, I was actually really, I was like, the NBA all star game needs to take some notes. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were, you could say there were some business decisions definitely being made, but they were, they were going after each other. There was some, some vitriol there between those two teams. Is that the right word? Vitriol? Yeah. 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 Some anger. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, yeah. Anger. Um, but yeah, I, I would lean towards him coming here just based off, I, I just, USC would be weird. I get, I would get it, you know, stay LA. at home. Yeah. Um, Ohio state would be the weirdest. I think like Mm -hmm. if you're trying to not follow like too much in your dad's footsteps, which I don't know, it seems like he's okay with, uh, I don't know, but I mean, I could also see him going to the G league too. I think the G league is less likely. I think he, there's a, mm, again, don't know the kid, obviously, I think he wants the college experience. I think some of his quotes and some of the some of the things he has been out there saying and just you know watching him interact with some of those guys. Uh, and again, you saw the way that Scoot used the G League to really elevate himself, and there's been a lot of uh, positive news coming out about that. But I, I think I think he wants the college experience. I think he does. And I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with you, Shane. I think he does come to the University of Oregon. I don't think Ohio State makes any sense. 
USC. Ohio State's like a fever dream situation. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think USC makes sense for sure. Uh, they've got a they've got a really good recruiting class coming in, but. When you were in college, did you want to? I mean, I went to the university. I stayed home, but you want to get out, man. You want to go see some different things. You want to. You want to live some other places. I know. I I say that too, but I also stayed home for school. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm like, yeah, dude, get out. Like, I I left after school. You know exactly. What I mean? Like, I turned yep. 22 and I left for a while. But uh, um, yeah, I definitely stayed in my fucking backyard. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, yeah, that's I, I thought you would. I mean, and my biggest takeaway from watching the dunk contest, especially, was I was really happy for LeBron that his like it seems like his life isn't kind of like low key ruined by this shit. Like he was having as much fun as anybody else. And you could tell he was just like he knows he's not just one of the kids, obviously. Um, but he's OK being one of the kids at, at like at in the event he tries to be as much as one of the kids as possible. And like, yeah. it doesn't look like he takes himself too seriously. Uh, there were a couple guys in the dunk contest that didn't have an ounce of fun. He was, you know, he was palling around with everybody. Um, and that, I think that's just really cool to see that, you know, like re regardless of what his success level is, because he's scrutinized so, so much more than any other high school player. Um, I mean, but he also reaps the benefit of his last name as well. Uh, I mean, you know, he's a good player. I don't know. If he's a five-star, but, uh, but it was just it was really good to see him just have have that experience and have fun with it because it's it's so easy for somebody in his position to have his fucking life ruined. But when he played well in that game, I mean, I got to give him props threes. shot the hell out of the ball. And that's definitely the, the thing that he needed to add. And the the announcers were obviously told <laughs> that Bronny's been working on his jump shot <clears throat> and he went out there to really display it. But some of the decision making way defends he's got long arms i mean i could i could see him being a very very productive college player well so yeah. um i'm i'm interested to see and I, I think he does come to the U of L. i'm with you i could see him being in the, like me and my buddy were talking about the other day like i see him as an nba player now uh, now i do i did yeah, i mean he could be like a uh malik monk oh okay okay all right eric gordon or so i'm just trying to think of like <laughs> i think malik uh, monk is perfect actually yeah. I think that's, you know, that's a perfect kind of uh, comp comp for him. All right, let's talk about fine. Yeah, let's talk about some of these transfer targets. If you want the full uh, full breakdown or a longer list of potential targets, uh, DucksWire.usaToday.com. Our good friend Zach Neal did a great job of kind of breaking down each position and listed several targets each position. So go check that if you'd like to see some more. TJ Bamba, Washington State guard, Dalton Connect. Uh, Northern Colorado wing, who's just been an absolute stud. And then Khalif Battle, uh, Temple shooting guard, who is the 24-7 number five ranked player in the portal. Shane, do you know any of those players? TJ Mamba. TJ Mamba. Yeah, TJ um, Mamba. Yep, yep. Uh, who I, I think would be a good addition to damn near any team in the country. Just yes. the way he plays. Doesn't need a lot, produces a lot, boxes out well, does all the things that I like. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be stoked about that. Um I got a little excited about this Dalton Connect kid. I watched some film. Uh, he's definitely one of the biggest targets in the portal, puts up massive numbers, just really, really scored at a crazy level, and just really got better every single year. Uh, he's not this player. Well, no, I'm not even going to say that because I don't, I don't. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. I don't, I don't think that's a good composition or a good comparison. But I think that he could be. I mean, he would contribute right away. He's the kind of player that he's looking at Mookie and all these other guys coming in. He's like, eh, do I want to go somewhere where I can maybe get a little bit more shine? So I could I could see him maybe going to Utah, actually, as another target that is definitely uh, really going after hard after him. Um, I've kind of teased this a couple times, Shane, but I'm, I'm going to do it now. I think the biggest change <clears throat> that Dana Altman will make that's coming into this next season, I think he finally gets rid of the Amoeba zone. Mm. I think that has been the number one thing that has held back some some of these young kids from getting out there because you saw it with where and I as a coach it's hard to get across to younger players that hey I understand what you can do for us on the offensive side but if I can't trust you on defense to know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do I can't play you so it doesn't matter what you do on the offensive side of the court if I can't trust you on the defensive side. And I think that's the the break in communication or kind of the 
what we saw really happening there between Ware and Altman because on, on the offensive side, Ware did bring a lot of positive things and even shined in moments, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. But when you're lost, when you don't know where you're supposed to be, and this defense is complicated. I don't think people understand how complicated and how difficult that defense is to teach to kids, especially 18 and 19 year olds that have been not, they've been playing man to man or they've just been playing straight zone. The teams don't at the high school level, don't really play this matchup amoeba zone. Well, also it, it requires so much communication. Oh, And if you're not, if you're not confident and being vocal, you're a break in the chain and then the defense becomes, it won't work. So I think, Unless unless Dana goes and finds his Arsalan Kazemi, his Eugene Omarui, unless he goes and finds that, you know, undersized big that communicates and understands and is just a really, really high IQ player to be the linchpin, I think Biddle's gotten better. I think Dante has gotten better. But I think that's the piece that this Duck team has really been missing over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, uh, Gary A tried, you know, kind of tried to be that player, but I just don't think he had the the cachet and really the high Q to, to pull that off. So I think unless Dana finds that player in the portal, I think he goes away from it. And I think we see some more straight man. I think we see some more of that one, three, one, uh, that mm-hmm. 13 that he likes to throw out there. I think he stays with his press, but I think you see that press now fall back into just kind of some straight man to man. I think that's going to be a big change. And I don't, I don't want to see that happen. I love that amoeba zone. I try to teach it myself to kids and it's, it is really, really tough. But I think especially with the athleticism that he has coming in next year, if he can run that defense, man, it could be good. But I think just to simplify things for this class and because he knows that his, I mean, his job's not necessarily on the line, but he's kind of put his, put himself out there saying, Hey, if we're not better then it's time to make a change. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a hot seat, but it's warm. It's, it's, it's wobbly. It's warm. Yeah. I think, and I think you're right. And I think it kind of comes down to like the two basic philosophies in coaching, you know, well, especially in college, like, are you recruiting your players to a system or are you implementing a system based on the players that you have? Yes. And I mean, those are like your, that's your two basic ideologies. And from there, you know, it branches all over the place, but he has always kind of been like, get the guys that come into my system, but the, the sport evolves and that's kind of what I talked about you know a couple months ago when we were talking with Zach like I wasn't saying like let's get away from Dana I think he's doing such a bad job he deserves to be fired I'm saying the sport is changing the culture is changing and uh I just don't know if he is willing to learn the new tricks or if he's going to turn to take his ball and go home I mean he said that in the conference too he's like I'd, I'd love to go coach a jc those guys work hard you know those guys are in the gym all the time those guys are dogs and i could see him doing that Absolutely. i could see him like going back to indiana and coaching some high school team to like nine <laughs> straight undefeated seasons you know what i mean like I, and then like they're making some cmt movie about it like yeah. i can see that i just don't know if that's where the university of oregon is going to be like moving forward or if they yeah. need to like inject this program with some young blood and somebody who is can relate with the what now is a 19 year old you know at work i check ids a lot lately i've been seeing a lot of like 2001 2002 ids and i'm like is it my time am i am i getting too old for for this job you know what i mean Where i'm like holy shit and some of the things that i'm hearing i'm like dude, i don't even know they could be talking about God knows what I like. I don't even know. They're talking in code for all I'm for, you know. So maybe that's where Dana is at. You know what I mean? I just have to say, welcome, Shane. That's all, that's all I have to say <laughs> is welcome. Welcome to the club. But I think there is, there is an element to that. And I think you saw some of that in the press conference that he is exasperated. He doesn't know what to do necessarily. I think he's going to reflect, talk to his coaching staff. I think adding, you know, another younger assistant onto the staff would definitely be a positive thing. We'll see, what kind of turnover that staff goes through this season. If he loses Menenga, I'm going to freak out, Shane. I'm going to totally freak out if he loses Menenga because I think not only from a recruiting perspective, but from a player development perspective, I think he's the best coach he has on that staff. All right. Anything else on this men's basketball team or have we uh, we beaten this one to death? Yeah, I think we have two. All right. I think right. I'm done talking about them. Yeah, me. I think <laughs> Yeah, we can move on. All right, Shane, we have reached the end of the podcast. Last take time. What do you got for me? Short and sweet. Uh, I just think that 
from watching this year's March Madness tournament, it's time for the Pac-12 to just fucking do it and just say, you know what? Conferences can be non-sport. You know, I mean, we can go different conference, different sport, and Pac-12 go and reach out and get San Diego State, get Gonzaga, do everything possible to get those two schools have a basketball only conference. You know what I mean? For I mean, or you know, Gonzaga doesn't have football. So, uh, but I mean, to just somehow get a basketball conference together on the West Coast, and I know that it's been forever they wanted to do you know all every sport has to be going on at the same time i don't know how to say it 100 percent inclusive with sports or whatever but uh i it, yeah that's it i just i'm i'm so fucking tired of it i'm so like these west coast juggernaut schools just keep going further and further and then they're in like the west coast conference and it just it seems so mutually beneficial and the only reason it gets in the way of it is like some money and some pride prestige baby conference of champions but yeah i'm with you i'm 100 I'm with you there get gonzaga get san diego state let's make a, a west super conference you know here on this side of the country for sure i'm torn shane i'm torn uh, i have i have two kind of here in the holster that i want to that i want to fire off but i think i'm just gonna i'm gonna go with the positive one julio rodriguez is gonna win the mvp this season I think that that's that's my Whoa. last take. I think I think Whoa. Julio Rodriguez wins the MVP this season. I think he has how a many, crazy year. How many MVPs won it in their second year? Oh, that's a really good question. Who, has anybody ever won Rookie of the Year and MVP in back to back seasons? That's another very good question that I don't have the answer to. I feel like maybe Trout. No, because Trout didn't win Rookie of the Year. Uh, he had a which really, is weird, right? Well, he had a really bad first two yeah. months. I know, isn't that strange? <laughs> that like of it everything is. he did, rookie of the year wasn't mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think Julio does it. I think he goes 35, 35, 110 ribbies, or I hate saying ribbies, dang it. RBI, 110 RBI, and you know, a 285 batting average, something like that. I like it. I like it. Just looking at the lineup, man, I'm like, dude, this is yeah. France and fucking you know like the middle of that lineup the meat like you know Crawford can kind of bat wherever now. Mm-hmm. I yeah uh, I like it man. I'm cur- I mean the way Hernandez plays and the way uh, uh, Colton Wong I think Colton Wong is kind of a it, how he plays this season is he going to be <laughs> what he was in the past or is he going to be junk? I think that's going to be a big and that pitching staff just how they how they continue to grow and everything else. But yeah, go Mariners baby. As always, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.